The seventh deadly sin is the focus of today's episode, laziness. But let's also keep in mind that the seven deadly sins aren't the only ones that can betray us. There are many more traitors in our lives. They're the attitudes that betray our relationship with our God, with other people, and even with ourselves. Although there are many more traitors that threaten our lives, we'll explore just three more in our future episodes. The three additional ones will be deception, worry, and apathy. But before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you if you've had the opportunity to check out any of Time of Grace's seven other podcasts. That's right. Time of Grace has eight different podcasts. Bible Threads is just one of them. All of our podcasts will help you grow in your faith and in living your life as a follower of Jesus. Check them out at timeofgrace.org or on your favorite podcast app. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Laziness. I did a web search on laziness and uh, clicked on the images tabs that had tons of Pinterest type quotes about laziness from famous and not so famous people. Here are a few quotes that caught my attention. Sophocles, who was a 4th century BC Greek playwright, said, Laziness is the mother of all evils. Benjamin Franklin, who was a founding father of the United States, said, Laziness travels so slowly that poverty soon overtakes him. Robert Frost, an American poet, once said, The world is full of willing people, some willing to work, the rest willing to let them. Probably one of my favorite quotes is from Jules Renard who was a French author in the late 19th and early 20th century. He wrote, Laziness is nothing more than the habit of resting before you get tired. So what do you think about what Renard said? I, I think it's insightful. Well, that's what the world's play, uh, playwrights, poets, and pundits say about laziness. But what does the Bible say about it? Well, it says a lot. Let's start in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In the Bible's account of creation, we learn that God planted a garden in Eden. Hey, you want to take a little detour? Let's do it. Did you ever wonder geographically where the Garden of Eden was on planet Earth? Well, the book of Genesis gives us a bit of a clue. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters, 
The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are rivers that exist today in the country of Iraq. But less is known about the Pishon and Gihon rivers. The Tigris and Euphrates flow from north to south and merge about 40 miles north of Basra, Iraq, to form a river known as the Shut al-Arab. This river then flows south to the Persian Gulf. So some Bible scholars have suggested that the Garden of Eden was located at the confluence of the Tigris and Euphrates. Perhaps. But keep in mind that between the time God planted the Garden of Eden and today, there was a worldwide flood that may have changed the location of these two now famous rivers. The bottom line is that we really don't know. Anyway, after God planted his garden in Eden, he put Adam, the man he had created, in the garden to work it and take care of it. So from the very beginning of creation, God designed human beings to work. Laziness, which is a deadly sin, is the unwillingness to work or to engage in constructive activity despite one's ability to do so. Not surprisingly, the book of Proverbs written by King Solomon has much to say about laziness. Here are three sayings of Solomon specifically about laziness, the first two from Proverbs and the third one from Ecclesiastes, which Solomon also wrote. Here's the first one. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Forced labor would be working for someone to pay off debts. Or there's this one. Laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless go hungry. The shiftless here would be those who are lying on their beds. And here's Solomon's observation from Ecclesiastes. Through laziness, the rafters say, a sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. Does this verse remind you of any projects around the house that you ought to be doing? Although King Solomon addressed laziness directly, he had another favorite way of addressing this deadly sin. About a dozen times in the book of Proverbs, Solomon talks about the sluggard. A sluggard is a habitually lazy person. The word sluggard reminds me of slugs that you find in the shady parts of your garden. Do you know what I'm talking about? Slugs are slimy and soft-bodied without any legs, so they move very slowly, just like a sluggard. They've got two pair of antennae on their heads. The top pair is for seeing and the bottom pair is for smelling. Slugs are unusual and definitely not my favorite animal in all of God's creation. So let's look at a few descriptive examples of what Solomon said about sluggards. 
Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest they look, but find nothing. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him, because his hands refuse to work. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Or he said this, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Probably the most well-known of Solomon's sayings about sluggards is when he directed the sluggards to be more like another of God's creatures, the ant. Hey, have you ever watched one of those video documentaries that detail the work ethic of a colony or army of ants? It's fascinating. Much like a bodybuilder, ants are hard workers and spend a lot of time doing heavy lifting. Every ant in the army has a job to do, and they all work together to get the jobs done. Here's what Solomon said to the sluggards about emulating the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Solomon then ends this saying with the ditty we just heard. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Solomon certainly didn't pull any punches in warning sluggards about the deadly sin of laziness. Well, that's a few examples of what we find in the Old Testament about laziness and sluggards. Let's move to the New Testament. Does anyone come to mind who was lazy and who didn't want to work, even though he had the ability to do so? I'm sure there are other examples, but the one that comes to mind for me is is a story that Jesus told about a rich man and three of his servants. This is what he said. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Two servants took the money that they were entrusted with and put it to work with the result of doubling their investment. The third servant hid the money that he was entrusted with in a hole in the ground. Then we learn that, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The master commended the servant who had doubled his five bags of gold. The master also commended the servant who doubled his two bags of gold. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not get scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant! So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Things did not end well for the lazy servant. The one bag of gold was taken from him, and he was sent packing. He lost his position as an entrusted servant. That's what laziness will get you. When you were in middle school or maybe high school, do you remember learning about Sir Isaac Newton? Newton was an English mathematician, physicist, astronomer, alchemist, theologian, and philosopher who lived from the mid-1600s to the year 1726. He's probably most well-known for his system of gravitation, which he began to develop after observing an apple falling from a tree. But Newton is also known for developing his three laws of motion. His first law of motion states that an object at rest remains at rest, and an object in motion remains in motion. Although Newton was talking physics, his observation also applies to laziness and work. The sluggard tends to remain at rest, and the one who engages in work and activity tends to remain active. Newton's first law of motion applies also to people. Although the Bible condemns the deadly sin of laziness, it also has lots of positive encouragement for people to be diligent and hardworking. The Apostle Paul in one New Testament is one New Testament author who offered this kind of encouragement. In his letter to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus, he wrote, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul encourages. In his second letter to the Christians living in Thessalonica, Paul used himself and his co-workers as an example. He wrote, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example." We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. The Apostle encourages us not to be idle but to work. 
In his first letter to Pastor Timothy, the Apostle Paul couched his encouragement in a contrasting warning. He wrote, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The encouragement to Timothy was that the members of his church work in order to provide for their families and others. Caring for others is a common thread throughout the entire Bible. Finally, in Paul's letter to the Christians living in Colossae, he puts work into a perspective that echoes back to creation. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. Remember that work has always been God's plan for man. And to counter the laziness bug, Paul encourages us to work with all of our heart. So is this to suggest that work is the ultimate goal of every human being, and certainly of every Christian? Are we to find value in working as much as we can? In other words, the more work we do, the more value we have? Practically speaking, if God made us to work, does that mean that we should be working long hours each and every day and working seven days a week? Not at all. God never created human beings to work seven days a week. Although God created men and women to work, just as he put the first man, Adam, to work in the Garden of Eden, we can't forget about another feature of God's creating activity, that being rest. Let's go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we hear about God's creating activity. Then chapter 2 begins, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God worked six days, and then on day seven, he stopped his work of creation. On day seven, God rested. The Hebrew word that is translated into English as rest is Shabbat. And if we transliterate Shabbat into English, we end up with the word Sabbath. Sabbath, Shabbat, means to stop, to cease, to rest. So our Creator God worked for six days and then He Sabbathed. He Shabbat. Six days of work plus one day of rest equals one week. That's the cycle of life God designed at creation. And the day of rest, God declared to be a holy day. The next time in the Old Testament that we hear about Shabbat is after the Israelites had made their exodus out of Egypt, had miraculously crossed the Red Sea, and were in the process of traveling through the desert toward Mount Sinai, where God would give his covenant law to his Old Testament people. The issue that precipitated God addressing Shabbat once again was that the people were complaining to Moses that they didn't have enough food to eat. 
By the way, they had already been complaining about not having water to drink. Well, the Lord God stepped in and gave them a solution. This event is found in Exodus chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. So, every morning, except for one morning each week, God rained down bread from heaven, which was known to the Israelites as manna. They were to gather only enough manna that they could eat each day. On day six, however, the Israelites were to gather twice as much manna. And why was that? Well, a little later in this chapter, Moses gives us an account. He says, Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. By the way, an omer of manna for each person each day amounted to about three pounds. It's also interesting to note that the Israelites who failed to gather a double portion of manna on the sixth day didn't have anything to eat on the seventh day. So what the Lord God established at creation, a day of Shabbat, in that very first week, he restated for his Old Testament people in regard to the gathering of manna. Fast forward a few months and the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai. There at Sinai, the Lord God established his covenant with his chosen people, the Israelites. As part of that very detailed covenant, the Lord God gave a summary of his law for his people. We know that summary as the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments specifically addressed Shabbat. God said, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Did you notice how this commandment begins? It begins with the word remember. Remember what, you might ask? Remember that at creation, the Lord God ordained Shabbat and made it holy. Six days of work and one day of rest. That's the Lord God's design for his creation. You know, there's so much more to say about Shabbat in the Old Testament, and especially as it relates to New Testament Christians like you and me. 
But we don't have the time in this episode to explore everything the Bible says about Shabbat. Maybe we should save it for another podcast series. But here's a takeaway for us as we wrap up this episode about the deadly sin of laziness. Work is the opposite of laziness. But, and this is really big, work is not the opposite of rest, of Shabbat. They actually go hand in hand. Work plus Shabbat is God's design for us that he established at creation. So, what does that mean for us? Well, if I'm lazy, I need to listen to Solomon's direction. Go to the ant, you sluggard. But what if I'm on the other end of the spectrum, at a place in my life where I work too much and rest too little? What if I'm addicted to work, in other words, a workaholic? Then I need to look to God's design at creation. It's a simple math formula. Six plus one. Six days of work and one day of rest. I'd like to encourage you to evaluate a typical week in your life and see how it compares with God's design. Traitors. More than just the seven deadly sins. They're the attitudes that can betray our relationship with our God, with others, and with ourselves. In our next episode, we'll explore the traitor known as deception. And if you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.